Here we go. Today is December 29th, 2017. That's a Friday, by the way. And this is episode 208 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me today, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Whatever it is you celebrate, Jerry, and others. Thank you Thank you very much, and uh, likewise. We're coming up on the end of the year. I know. Which means squeak one, squeak one more episode in. That's true. Yeah, because uh, this weekend I'm traveling. Next weekend I'm traveling, yep. so we'll have to we'll have to do some some weekend weekday recordings. Absolutely. But it's the end of the year, which means traditionally everybody does their predictions for 2018. Correct. I uh, I, uh, I suck at this, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> oh, I have a few. <laughs> I have a few. I, I will tell you, I'm, I'm, I, I could make some some guesses, but it just seems you're just shouting at a hurricane trying to figure out what's going to happen next because it's always interesting and surprising. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a cone of uncertainty. But um, anyway, so uh, just a, a, a reminder before we get in that the thoughts and opinions we express on the show are ours and do not represent those of our employers. And... Um, uh, also shout out to our, our Patreon donors at the beginning of the show this time. And, and by the way, I know last, last show I mentioned that there was a kind of a hoopla going on with, uh, with small donors and, and Patreon. They, they apparently have walked that back. And so we're, you know, it's, I, I'm not intending to, to change it at this point, but I, um, I will be investigating alternatives in case it comes up again. I would just like to say there are no small donors, Jerry. Uh, I, I meant small donations in terms of uh, uh, dollar mm-hmm. amount. The problem was, mm-hmm. by the way, if you if you donated at like a dollar, you also had to pay a fee, and and so it was you know you weren't just donating a dollar. It was you know it's going to be a lot more than a dollar. Yeah, so it was, that, that was it was kind of it was kind of weird. Yeah, I mean I, I I get the I think I get their position that. You know they're trying to make some money, and those, uh, you know, the, they the, should start up a Patreon donation for themselves. <laughs> you, you know, that's innovative thinking right there. <laughs> in, innovation. But in all seriousness, uh, you guys who donate are awesome, and we really do appreciate it, and it helps keep the show going because we don't do sponsors or ads or anything like that. So we are. Purely crowdfunded and labor of love. So thank you, guys. Yep, thank you. Um, and also a reminder that we're going to be at the um, Tactical Edge pod- <laughs> I said podcast, Tactical Edge conference in Bogota, Colombia, in March. Uh, you can go to tacticaledge.co for for information on, uh, there. Both you and I are giving a talk. Indeed, keynotes even. Key- yeah. Yeah. One, one, of, one of five keynotes, but you know, keynotes. Right. I think five. Is that right? Five, Something six. like that, yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of keynotes. Somehow we conned our way into that. Right, right. Have you, have you done your talk yet? Have you, have you written it down? Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh. I, 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 it needs a lot more polish, but yeah, pretty far down the road. I'm, I'm working on it, kind of. <laughs> good, good, good. And then, uh, and then also uh, coming up next year is uh, Hack in the Box. Heck in the box, Amsterdam. It's uh, hitb.org, or I think it's conference.hitb.org. You, you can use defensive security as a discount code and get ten percent off. Indeed, isn't isn't call for papers open? I believe it is, but I think they close at the end of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. So if you're listening to this after the first, I'm sorry, it's you're, too late. You're out of luck. Yep. 
anyway, um, getting into some stories, you know, I, I, I just picked a couple of stories and then I wanted to talk about kind of recapping the year and what to expect for next year. So it was a dumpster fire. It'll continue to be a dumpster fire next. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. So, um, <laughs> So, so the first story we have today comes from UpGuard.com's blog, and, and UpGuard, just for those who are not aware, is the is the current employer of a, a person named Chris Vickery, and and Chris is, um, well, I, I'm going to explain it like this. My dog loves rocks. Like she, you know, she will go out into my yard and she will dig and dig and dig and dig up a rock. And it's like she knows that they're there, and and I think Chris is very similar with uh, with S three buckets. Like he he just he digs up S three buckets. He in just your yard. knows they're there, <laughs> and, and 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 can find them and expose them. So um, so anyway, not not, not just S three buckets, but poorly secured S three poor, buckets. Right? Poorly secured S three buckets. Right. That's that's correct. Full of interesting info. Yeah. So so this one this. This is a a post titled Home Economics, How Life in 123 Million American Households Was Exposed Online. And, um, you know, before I before I get into it a little bit, I, I, I have mixed opinions about this post in general, because I, I, I think that uh, and you hear me out for a second. Right. That I think the. the the company here was trying very hard to position this as big of a deal or bigger as the Equifax breach. And I know on, uh, and the reason I say that, by the way, is twofold. One is in, in the article itself, they not only describe the breach, but they also try to describe the context around what possible harms can come from the breach. And then also when this, when, when this was first announced there was a lot of um on social media there was a lot of desperate attempts to get attention for this story which just i don't know if it was the time of the year or or maybe we're just tired of breaches but it just didn't seem to stick to anything and and kind of slid off the wall but but you know that's not to say that this is not a uh, a huge deal and and very important, and so I'm I'm not trying to downplay that. I'm just you know talking talking about how interesting it is, um, you know, in, in the context, the, the bigger context. So anyway, what, what resonates with the public and what doesn't? Yeah, exactly. And and you know, breach fatigue and exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, because I I have to believe that in another, you know, at a different time, this would have been huge news. And and this is this would have been all we were talking about, and for for whatever reason, well, did it have a did it have a logo? It did not have a logo. There was did no it? theme song. There was no actor. There was no, um, you know, was it state sponsored? No, it was doesn't appear to be state sponsored. I don't even know why we're talking about this. Huh? <laughs> well, I think we just we just found the problem, didn't we? <laughs> um, I kid. So so anyway, the, there's a company named Alterix, who I've never heard of before. They're a, a California-based data analytics firm, as described in the the blog post here. And um, they they apparently took a couple of different data sets. Uh, one data set was from the the U.S. Census. Another data set was from uh, Experian, and I think there was one other. And they, they tried to smash all of these these data sets together to come up with something that is, you know, beneficial to retailers or marketers or, or what have you. And so they, they, they go into a lot of description in this story about, you know, the, the types of data that, were present here and, and you know, basically available for all to download if, if you knew they were there. Um, you know, there were there were something like almost 250 fields of data for each of the 123 million house American households. Now I, I suspect that not all of those were relevant to every household, but you know it's a it's a kind of a, a disconcerting thing that that data was was available. Um, 
you know, out there. And they, they go on to point out that this type of data really enables very deep and sophisticated uh, fraud activity on, on, uh, you know, the American, effectively the American people. Right? Yeah. Because you can almost divine all sorts of answers to authentication questions exactly. and secret questions from this sort of data. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, you, you and, can assume the identity of probably most of, most of the people in there. And this business model is not certainly unique to this particular company. This is something that a lot of <laughs> analytics companies do. This is a lot of what Experian, uh, sorry, Equifax does, does as well. They, they try to merge all these different data sets from what you buy at grocery stores to what your credit card spending is like and sell this information to marketers and and other companies so they can better target their ads and do research and you know it's it's data mining on the consumers and it's a fairly sophisticated practice today for a lot of different companies in this space yep exactly so so we've talked about a lot of these in the past and and what I thought was was good about this particular post is they not only talked about you know what happened and what harm they thought uh, would could come, but they also talked about how to avoid it happening. And and I thought that was pretty interesting, and and finally helpful maybe right. So so basically what's apparently happening with 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 each of these S three buckets that are flapping in the breeze so to speak, that, that Mr. Vickery keeps finding is, um, and, and I again, I don't know if this is the case on every single I- instance, but uh, at least in this particular instance, and I know a few of the, the former instances as well, the, the company or the, the administrator that set up this system, uh, it, I guess, basically didn't really know what they were doing when they set up authentication to the to the S3 bucket. So what they what what effectively they had done was limit access to authenticated users and you know the hypothesis is that whoever set it up must have thought that meant you know people who were authenticated to that account but in reality what that actually means is any authenticated user you know basically any Amazon you know AWS authenticated user which anybody for, can create for free for any account across the entire amazon ecosystem correct s3 ecosystem i should say right so if you've got your own s3 instance that account suddenly gets permissions to anybody who set up aws authenticated users as access right because it doesn't default that to your bucket it's everything right hmm I could see how that could trip some people up if you don't know what you're looking at. Yeah, and uh, you know that's I, I think that's one of the issues we're seeing with with cloud in 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 spades that people who who may not be familiar with the technology, either traditional or you know legacy IT people or or maybe business people who who have a IT bent, you know they they don't fully understand. The technology they're working with, and they make, you know, kind of innocent but grievous mistakes. <laughs> I mean, I assume it's an innocent mistake, but um, you know. well, it's a common thing we see over and over again. So I'm assuming, yeah, right, right, Be- because as I understand it, and I think somebody was talking to you about this as well. That we often comment how these are unsecured S3 buckets, but I think that this is probably the common problem: is that this mistake of clicking on authenticated user access only, most people probably assume that means unique to my exactly. my organization. Right. You know, and, and so they are considering it secured, but not realizing that anybody with an account on AWS can now access it if they try. Right. Yeah, that's that's what we can assume is is going through their minds. Uh, we we had a we had a listener uh, direct message me on Twitter about this, and and I think it was actually shortly after this um, this post came out, and and he was mentioning that this is actually one of the reasons uh, Amazon is phasing out the S three bucket ACLs, and and 
favor of what they're calling the S3 IAM policies, which he describes as much more powerful and easier to understand. So, uh, you know, if you're an Amazon, uh, you know, company and you're not, not already aware, oh, sorry, if you're not already aware of that, you know, something to look into. Yeah, I, we talked about this before that the challenge here for Amazon is even though it's not their fault, they kind of get blamed for this. So I think they're probably going to have to help their users be a little smarter about how they do things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it looks like they are. But, you know, I think um, I, I I don't have the article at, at hand, but I think that Amazon was doing something to look for, uh, to proactively look for buckets that were not properly secured. Um, and it, actually, I think um, I think I read another story that they were going to start flagging it in the um, the console if it was if it was not properly secured. So, you know, either way, that's you're right. This is going to reflect badly on Amazon, even though it's not their fault. So, they have a horse in getting it fixed. So, moving on to our next story, uh, this one it comes from Brian Krebs. And the title is four years after target, the little guy is still the, the little guy is the target. And I actually have a lot of people complain about this to me, you know, that we, we, we tend to talk about the big breaches, the experience, uh, sorry, the Equifax's <laughs> experience was the one we just talked about. Um, Yahoo, you know, the, the, those really big newsworthy ones, but there's a lot of smaller and probably orders of magnitude more uh, incidents happening or breaches happening with much smaller organizations that just don't get that level of airtime, and and so that's uh, that's kind of the point here. And in, in this particular post, Brian talks about uh, uh, in a roundabout way figuring out that uh, a particular batch of credit cards being sold on the black market was actually coming from a relatively small restaurant chain called um, uh, Jason's, Deli. Jason's Deli. Thank you. Yep. I, I didn't want to say the wrong one. Which is tasty if you've never eaten <laughs> it, it, it. It is tasty. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, and and so, so in, in the story here, Brian talks about how uh, attackers are, are really starting to move, at least from a credit card fraud perspective, they're starting to move down market. They're they're not really targeting the super large targets and Home Depots anymore. They're going after uh, you know, volume of smaller, uh, you know, smaller retailers and then kind of packaging up the, the cards together because that makes it a lot harder for, uh, to figure out where the the fraud came from, if you if you compromise, you know, six or seven different retailers, and you sell the you you sell cards mixed together from each of those different retailers, it it's much more difficult to figure out that you know which, which particular retailers were involved because you you can't uh, you can't easily narrow back or narrow down the 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 origin. Um, so. So the question I have is, is this an intentional decision by the majority of the bad guys or is this, you know, just the way the game is evolving where these mega breaches got a lot of attention and a lot of focus. So some of these very, very large retailers probably took some reaction to that. The card brands took some reaction to that. And now perhaps it's more difficult for the bad guys to go after these mega organizations or are they intentionally going after small organizations? So it's tough to know if this was an intentional thing or if this is just game theory playing itself out as move and counter move. Yeah, it's, uh, he, he, does, he does hypothesize a little bit, saying that you know, there's probably a little bit of both in play here because you know, the, it's not hard to imagine that larger retailers have gotten more sophisticated in their defenses in recent years. I'm not saying they're they're perfect or, or maybe no. even adequate, uh, but, but they're, they're harder. They're apparently harder to, uh, to penetrate for, for the bad guys. Uh, but at the same time, the, the name of the game is 
kind of is monetizing these credit cards that you steal. And so if you steal a whole, if you invest a whole lot of time into compromising one large retailer, uh, you know, you may not be able to monetize many of the cards before the, the card brands or the banks figure out that that retailer had, had a breach and all of the cards in that, uh, you know, in that, that hall are, you know, are, are basically invalidated. Right. So, so the, you know, the, there's not only an element of the larger retailers being harder to breach, but there's also the element of, you know, well, they can make more money probably on each card that they steal if they steal them from smaller retailers. Yeah. And blend them together. It makes sense. You know, there's also an assumption that all bad guys are operating under the same, you know, sense of... Completely rational, yes. Right. Right. (laughs) Which is certainly not the case. Correct. Uh, So it's an interesting trend, and it it makes life more difficult, I think, for the card brands and others to figure figure this out. Because if you get lots of small breaches, and as you mentioned, bundles them up, it's a lot harder to trace back to a single source and, and shut it down easily. Yeah, I, I still think that the you know the actual approach that bad guys are probably taking is more one of convenience. Like, what what, what can they get into, <laughs> you know? And and sure. so so I I suspect if we were to to have full insight into the way these these guys operate, not notwithstanding the fact that they they're not, they're not one monolithic group of of people, um, you know the. the there's probably some uh, there's probably some logic into how they pick who they pick and maybe that's because they do some homework on the you know the the support company that supports the you know the the the, the credit card terminals or i mean there, there there's probably some underlying commonality that that we could figure out like a you know second or third order uh, logic to figure out how they're picking their targets because I, I i you know either either they they open the phone book and say you know <laughs> we're gonna go after uh you know jason's deli today or it's you know n- no we're gonna we're gonna figure out you know who look basically look at who is supporting c- I'm just hypo- you know, hypothesizing here, right? Look at the different companies that support credit card terminals and figure out who are their customers. What, you know, are there any obvious weaknesses in in those in those uh, infrastructures that we can take advantage of and then kind of crawl through? Maybe there's some, you know, some amount of deviation between uh, between clients of those companies. I, I by the way, I mean there there could be a million other explanations, but I, I suspect there's some logic in who they're picking to hit. I just don't know what it is. Well, it, it could also very well be a, hey, who can we get into? You know, constantly probing lots of different organizations sure. and figuring out who, who they're able to, to get into. Yeah. There's always a matter of convenience and a matter of, of you know, uh, randomness involved with these sorts of things, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's also possible that they, um, you know, they they just troll, uh, you know, troll dark market forums looking for uh, you know c- for compromised PCs for sale that look like they're associated with a retailer, and then they you know they buy sure. access and move from there. I mean, I, I there's probably lots of different ways, but I I, I guess my my skepticism is that they're not necessarily intending to target smaller entities it's it's probably more an artifact of how they're approaching their targets or identifying their targets i also wonder if the rod of of chip and pen technology has impacted any of this because the larger orgs can more easily afford to move to that or the smaller orgs might be a little slower in rolling out the chip technology maybe that's a good question i'm not sure i don't know i'm just speculating yeah, I, I I think the I think the issue in the U.S. is we're we're not all cut over, right? So you can mm-hmm. go with you can come to a retailer with the, with a card that doesn't have a chip, and they'll accommodate you swiping it. So I don't know, 
what I don't know is if uh, you know if if a card is stolen that has a chip and you know an imprint is made on a on a different card can that card be used swipe at a different retailer I, I that part I don't know that's a good question it's also something that if card not present you know online transactions and yeah, it doesn't really matter about the chip yeah you know it's interesting that, that um, one thing Brian does talk about in this story here is that they they tend to, the the bad guys who are stealing the credit cards like to sell the credit cards that were stolen in a zip code to someone who's near that zip code and the and the reason is that apparently if if um, because at the end of the day right the the way the bad guys make money ultimately is somebody's you know going to a retailer either online or in person and buying something Right. right. That that's how this is monetized and eventually eventually I mean, there could ultimately. be middle middle steps. Yeah, right? yeah, there's lots of probably f- multiple middle steps. Mm-hmm. But it, but at the end of the day what Brian is talking about here is you know when when the average card is stolen and sold, it's sold in batches and those batches are are grouped together by zip code and that zip code is usually the zip code of the retailer, not the zip code of the you know the, right. the card holder, and and the reason they like to they like to sell that batch of cards to a person who's in that uh, in that that geographical area, and the reason is apparently it sets off. And, and this is, you know, I don't know if this is real or not, but the the uh, assertion is that that sets off fewer fraud alarms if someone takes a you know a. a imprinted credit card to a nearby you know store that's nearby the um, you know where the victim card holder probably lives sure i mean i've been traveling and had my bank go hey are you uh are you really in san francisco right now yeah yeah i am okay yeah yeah i can't can only imagine what my bank thinks like he was in paris yesterday and <laughs> today he's in budapest what the hell's going on? So anyway, um, so so yeah, it, it, the net point I think of the uh, of the article to me is it, this is not just a story of uh, of large retailers or large organizations getting hit. It's um, you know it's it's increasingly becoming a story about smaller smaller scale, more common breaches impacting. Um, you know, s- smaller organizations that may be less uh, less sophisticated. So, anyway, um, and and by the way, the the uh, Jason's Deli released a statement, and they did not include that they take your data very seriously. What? Or the the, the security of your data very seriously. Oh. I know, it's it's uh, heretical. And there's been no offers of credit monitoring yet. Do they not understand? I mean, do they not know what <laughs> world they live in? <laughs> they should have the script. Uh, and anyway, they they did. Uh, I, th- I actually think they had a pretty reasonable response. They basically said, you know, we were advised uh, of the the issue and we're investigating, and you know, the, you have to understand this kind of thing takes time to investigate. And when we know more, we'll let you know. That's basically what they said. Uh-huh. So, anyway, so that is the stories. Now we, you know, want to talk about a uh, a recap of the year that was. It was ugly. Yep, yep. We uh, we survived the war on Christmas. <laughs> that was good. Uh, well, you know, one thing I think we talked a lot about last year was ransomware was going to continue. And we were right on that point. Ransomware mm-hmm. definitely continued and uh, was a fairly big story this year. I think it they did a, a decent job of <laughs> transitioning to corporate environments. Yes. Yes, they did. And uh, uh, I think you and I jokingly predicted that companies were going to start stockpiling Bitcoin. But uh, guess what? We were right. <laughs> we, we were right. We weren't <laughs> yet right on the, eight, the Bitcoin ATMs. Not yet. Not yet. In the I lobby, think, but but I, it's coming. I think that the the change in value happening so rapidly made it difficult for that economic to work out. I, we'll go with that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, we'll go with that. 
so what what uh so so i had a i have a i have a uh, a couple of things i wrote down yeah number one was we didn't record enough podcasts mm. so so there there was that I, I i did the mental math and i'm like oh we 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 didn't have a good track record this year so we'll, i blame you completely yeah it was a lot, largely my fault um next was that we had quite a few very large breaches between uber equifax the alterix one we just talked about yahoo mm-hmm but none of them were really sophisticated attacks. They were just like, oh, we forgot to patch struts, or <laughs> oops, we left our API keys in our in the code we checked into GitHub, or oops, we left the the S3 bucket unsecured. Um, so they they don't need to be sophisticated attacks if they work. Correct. Well, I guess the point is we're not. I I don't I can't actually think of. A, a large-scale breach. I mean, we, we certainly had a couple of, you know, nation-state-style right. attacks. <laughs> but if, as far as the big data breaches, you know, they they were they were kind of kind of boring in terms of how they happened. Mm-hmm. Um, another another thing I noticed is that, and I don't know if this is just a, a relic of the large breaches, but it seems like the time between when the breaches detected in in the time that the breaches disclosed is getting longer. Now it's not a large sample size. Now you don't mean detected; you mean disclosed, right? Correct. Well, from the time it was detected until the time it was de- disclosed. Ah. So if you think about like Uber, right? It was a I don't know what a year. Mm-hmm. You think about Equifax. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was you know they they took some crap, and Yahoo was like three years. So well, I think for most companies, there's probably more due diligence from a legal aspect going on. Well, I I agree. Some of these were people just trying to hide the breach. Yeah. Yep. Um, so in in 2017, I think we saw some of the best worst examples of breach response. <laughs> right. You know, from from Uber, um, you know, Uber's train wreck to the dumpster fire at Equifax with their, um, you know, their, their Equifax security 2017 or .com or whatever the domain, the, the WordPress domain right. was that was being flagged as a phishing site. Yeah, which was odd because that was done by a third party who should have known better. Yeah, well, you know, the one, the, the thing it tells me, by the way, is, you know, we, we always we've as an industry we've said we, we've kind of said well you know you can't block it all and so you need to be able to detect mm-hmm. but the one of the problems is typically with detection you know you sometimes it, it still gets out the door but i think what i've noticed is companies are becoming increasingly judged based on how they resp- on their response to the breach Mm-hmm. I mean, we we've seen some, and now, granted, they weren't large companies, and maybe it, they had, you know, good political capital or goodwill, you know, to begin with. But it seemed like some of the companies that responded well to a breach and were, you know, transparent and forthcoming, were were judged much more kindly than than uh, the the ones who either tried to hide it or they waited a long time and they were obtuse about what happened and. That sort of thing. So I think there's a lesson there that, you know, we, we probably need to get better at, um, you know, have a little more polished plans for when something like this happens. Certainly. And we're looking forward to your online course you'll be giving on this topic soon. Absolutely. Only $7,000. <laughs> um, next one is... Uh, but it comes with two CPE credits. <laughs> that's right. Two... Uh, my my fear about nation state innovations in cyber weapons, uh, you know, becoming used or being used in commodity attacks came true with NotPetya and WannaCry. Right now, I know that the allegations are that that those were perpetrated by North Korea or, or Russia or both or neither. You know, but point is, the the, the tactics used. In, at least in WannaCry, and, and the capability existed in that pet, yeah, 
came from the NSA breach, right? The Eternal Blue, supposedly. So, well, yeah, supposedly. <laughs> um, not pet yet, by the way, scares me, and and that is because I I, I call it the vulnerability list worm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right, and and <clears throat> by the way, I think that the reason it scares me is that it's a it's an example of combining what I what I have seen as traditional manual um, you know, lateral movement techniques used by you know attackers who are kind of hands on keyboard but automating it and and you know Lord knows there is a lot of different tactics out there that, that could conceivably be automated in, in this way for for lateral movement so I you know uh, and then um, and then finally I, we I, I think we saw a fair amount of the supply chain becoming uh, a risk. And, you know, the most significant one uh, example of that was not Petya with the ME doc servers auto updating and, and pulling mm-hmm. into the organization uh, that, you know, the, the, the malware. Yeah, we, we had a couple of abuses of trusted channels for sure. Right. And then there were, uh, there were uh, quite a few examples of, of software that were Trojaned, and posted on the on, on the legitimate download page, and then we've we've also seen quite a lot, and we haven't really talked a lot about these, but we've seen quite a lot of uh, browser and and um, you know what WordPress style plugins that were at one point legitimate, but then sold to shady characters who who released a new version, and you know that had some nefarious capabilities. So that was my, that's my recap for, uh, for yeah, some good stuff. I, I would add a couple. I think the industry got, what's the right word to use? A bit overly fascinated and distracted by the concept of attribution, in my opinion. I, I really don't think attribution is all that useful for the average InfoSec person, but man, did we get caught up with it. Yep. And, I find that a distraction. I, 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 in general, when you're down in the trenches, you know, running your tools and trying to defend a company, and and I care a lot more about what's the current TTP than I care about who did it. Right. You know, I don't really care that North Korea is out doing X, Y, Z. I care what are they doing, and are are my defenses capable of withstanding that, or can I watch for that? whether it's coming from North Korea, North Korea or the 400-pound hacker in his mother's basement doesn't really change what I need to do. So, But I, I think we really got caught up in that. I think that's going to get worse. I think especially as we get more insurance involved and more uh, blame shifting involved with uh, who's responsible for these breaches, we've already seen some early indications of blaming a nation state. It's a bit like a get-out-of-jail-free card in terms of there's nothing you can do if it was a nation state. It's beyond your capabilities. And, so, and by the way, you get to blame the FBI, at least if you're in the U.S. Like, sure. Yeah. Well, how come they, well, didn't, they didn't stop it? Right. right. Where, where's my government when I need them? <laughs> uh, I think we saw a lot more Internet of Things-based worms in 2017 than we've seen in the past. And that seems like it's going to continue. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see we'll see how that progresses. A lot of people making noise about minimum levels of security for these devices. Eh, good luck. I don't, I don't think that's going to work. Uh, but I think you hit on a lot of the, the good stuff I would mention. Uh, I, you know, the other thing I think is that 2017 saw a rise of a lot more shadow IT. Uh, yeah. Yep. With with how trivially easy it is to stand things up in the cloud. And I think we are just beginning to see the implications of that shake out from a security perspective. Right. So right. what about 2018 and our not prediction predictions? <laughs> well, so so my first prediction is is not a prediction. It's it's a cone of uncertainty, and and it is around Bitcoin. And so, so Bitcoin obviously, is, as we all know, has had just a meteoric rise in in price recently. In I think, fact, I was thinking about changing the name of the show. 
to, to the uh, defensive Bitcoin security podcast to see if we could drive some more black you know. the blockchain blockchains Bitcoin security. Right, right. Just to you know, kind of get the get the yeah, yeah. You know, the word out more. Get the yeah. yeah. Well, you, you saw the by the way, do you, do you, not not to go off on a tangent, but we're going to go off on a tangent. You saw yeah. the the Long Island Iced Tea Company, yes. right? Ch- they changed their they, they they changed their name and and their stock price tripled overnight, basically. And and <laughs> by the way, it was they 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 changed their name to I don't know some black something blockchain, and and it but it wasn't just the name change. So they were also changing the focus of yeah, they're pivoting the company, which I mean is a big pivot, right? So <laughs> a little, a a little, little bit, pivot. yeah. And, right, and so, you know so you, you you've got to buy your when you buy a stock you're buying future you know future earnings potential so in theory uh, in, yeah so so anyway um I'm, by the way I'm re- reading a really awesome book you might like it's it's called the end of alchemy it's about finance it's written hmm. it's written by uh, the, the former uh, head of the Bank of England and it talks a lot about the uh, the the financial crash in the 2000s so pretty oh, interesting pretty cool stuff and he talks a lot about how uh how stocks are valued and, and it's it's, it's kind of like the um the newspaper game where you're trying to uh you're, you're trying to pick the most attractive face but not the one that you think it's the you're trying to pick the most attractive face based on the average rating of the average listener and so or average reader and so you're you know you have to try to infer what um you know what other people will find attractive and it's the same thing with a stock right you're trying to infer what other people value when you when you decide that to buy a stock so it's mm. interesting um anyhow i digress uh so so anyway back to bitcoin i think the the, the thing about bitcoin's rise in value i don't know if it's going to keep going up or it's going to go down but I think it's going to have some some pretty significant changes to the crime ecosystem, and I, and I don't know what that is, right? I I don't know if that's means we're going to continue seeing, you know, the the, the pervasive installation of crypto miners when you go to watch a video or install a plugin, or you know, I don't know if it's that. I don't know if if we're going to see an abandonment of traditional banking, you know. A, attacks on banks and instead go towards uh you know co- completely bitcoin based you know because there's a from a from an attacker's perspective bitcoin's pretty good right because if you can steal them they they kind of have a nom- anonymity built into you know right there's, right as long, as long as you can steal them without leaving too many tracks right sure. right or yeah. or by the way i don't know if you saw this news right but the the, the head of one of the uh, some large Bitcoin exchange was kidnapped in Russia. You know, so so there's um, I, I think it's gonna have potentially pretty dramatic changes in the the ecosystem of cybercrime. I just don't know what it is yet, and and I I don't know if you know that for instance may see um, a shift away from ransomware. You know, because you know that might not be the best. The you know because I I think in the past, ransomware was you know Bitcoin was to ransomware a, a a vehicle to collect money, but now it's I think it's less about encrypting files and and getting them getting people to pay and more about finding ways to you know to get more bitcoins. So um, anyway, I I I just think it's uh, I, I think it's going to change things. I don't know how. Um, my next prediction is that i think we're going to see more of these vulnerability list worms i think now that the the concept is out there i think we'll probably see both traditional criminals and 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 also probably nation states really innovating in that in that space so you know where where in the past you've had to have like an eternal blue you know, remote code execution over the network type thing in order to make a worm work. I think this has kind of opened people's eyes that, hey, we don't have to do that, right? There's other ways, there's other ways to do this. And and yeah. so I, I suspect we're going to see some more of that. Um, yeah. I think we're going to see 
you know, we saw in 2017, we saw a couple of um, just kind of around the edges. Like we saw the um, the AMT, the Intel AMT hardware bug, and then we saw the man, the Intel Manage Engine Management Engine bug. I I suspect that you know now that those two things are out in the open, that you know the the research community has got to just be plowing through hardware like like crazy right now and i suspect there's a ton of bugs hanging out there that are yet to be found and i you know i think at the at a minimum we're going to be patching a lot of hardware and at you know at, at worst i think we we could potentially see some hardware based worms or hardware based malware which scares the hell out of me by the way because it's not just a wipe and replace anymore when that happens that would be pretty interesting yeah and then and then finally uh i think we're likely to see more uh, conceivably a lot more of the supply chain style uh vulnerability or i should say uh, hijacks i don't know what you actually call it attacks well, by supply chain do you mean like target where their hvac vendor got in or things like it's a trusted update channel for this piece of software it, that gets corrupted and the latter okay yeah the trusted updates yeah and and you know and, and i think the issue i see there and and by the way you know lord help us in our compliance programs right because we have a hard enough time thinking about vendor management as it applies to you know I you know IT outsourcing companies or 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 that sort of thing. I just think if this becomes a big problem, and we have to start thinking about, you know, quote vendor management for software vendors. Uh, this this is gonna be a nightmare. I mean, for just from an just from an operational perspective, not just even negating, you know, the real. Um, the the real damage that these things can do, but just think about the you know the the compliance and and management program of having to to figure out if your software vendors have appropriate security on their update servers. And how how would you determine that? <laughs> I don't know. And how would you trust that? I mean, this is something we've talked about repeatedly. Sending a questionnaire out to your third party. I don't know. That's a very valid methodology for determining that information. What else are you going to do? I don't know. Uh, ask to pen test, ask to... I, but how many organizations have the resources to go do that? Well, that that's a great point, by the way, because I suspect the answer in many cases is going to be something like an SSA 18 or a SOC 2 or you know some, some kind of... Look, they've got the semantic logo on their website. What more do you want? <laughs> It's got the green the green lock. I mean, right. What more do you want? Uh, so, so I I think I think that them there will very likely be a reliance on that. Um, but we also know that those are wholly ineffective at actually finding things that would result in this kind of an attack. Um, and and then also I suspect that it's going to price. You know, right now there's a very low barrier to entry to be a software vendor you know it's it's um you, you just need an idea and and you know a couple of person months or person years worth of of coding and you got that, a, you got a product isn't that, isn't that what we want isn't that what innovation is isn't no that... it, it is but i guess what i'm saying is if now all of a sudden there, there has to, you know, prospective customers are going to go to this upstart software company and say, you know, where's your sock too? Right. Well, uh, you know, come on, I'm just, I'm a, it's, I'm a two-person company. I can't pay seventy thousand bucks for a sock too. I think there's still plenty of medium and small businesses who wouldn't worry about that. Buying from other small and medium businesses. I think the large businesses will get pushed down that path. Yeah, I suppose you're right. Because you know what I see coming is cyber insurance companies and the government trying to establish more standards around best practices in this area. Well, they will suck at it, but they're going to try. 
So what's the what do you think is the the end? What's the end game here? I mean, do do we there just can do we just continue sucking, or do, at at some point does somebody say, you know, here's the here's the book, here's the right way to do this stuff? I I don't think there's an end game. I think this will always be the way it is because it's there's too many variables in play. There's too much incentive for the bad guys to continue to find ways in. It's their general computing devices that have inherently bugs and flaws to keep their price reasonable. Uh, I think that the entire system is set up in such a way to allow massive innovation and fast movement but will continue to lead to insecurity. But I think that that's probably an okay trade-off when you look at the the wealth it builds through, you know, process and 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 ease of building company. I mean, let, let's take a look at I don't know, let's let's pick on Uber for a second here. The entire concept of Uber grew out of the enablement the the internet and general computing devices in everybody's pockets offered and generated tremendous wealth. That is the flip side of having fast moving sloppy ish code and very rapid in a, in an iteration of our computing environments. Now you could make things secure, you could make things secure, but it would slow down and cost so much money it's not economically viable. So I think you're never going to get risk to zero in the competing world. It's it's like saying, what's the end game of stopping bank robberies? I don't think you ever will. I think it's a matter of keeping it at a, at a reasonable level so businesses can still do what they want to do and, and make money. So uh, it's going to ebb and flow and there there will be trends and there will be reactions and counteractions and new exploits and new defenses and it'll continue to change but i think fundamentally there isn't an end game it's a, it's a constant level of iteration and vigilance which is what i find frustrating about some of these best practices because they're usually based on the previous set of concerns and risks and 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 best practices of the last war if you will and I think we have to be more nimble. So, but but that doesn't that doesn't that mean that if if we want to continue embracing that agileness, I'll just make up a word. Agility, I guess, is the right word. That that we really need to have. Uh, I don't know what the right word is. Engineers or pe- people who can, uh, you know, kind of apply basic principles you know right rather than looking at it through the lens of a compliance regime or a, a framework but you know actually you know I, I'm, I'm thinking i'm thinking about it like an architect or or a structural engineer right i mean that the problem with that analogy is that they're only dealing with one set of set physics requirements as a structural engineer Right, the, the the structural analysis, the structural integrity, the engineering of that against the forces that are fairly static, gravity and wind and hurricanes and rain. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with a constantly changing adversary who is continually probing for weaknesses. So if you took it back to structural analysis and 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 architects, that's like saying, okay, every year you've got different folks applying different ways to knock down your building. Yeah. I... I'm I'm not sold, <laughs> and 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 I, you're you're uh, you're right. I I completely agree because the 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 physical analogy doesn't apply because you know you you have if you, if you try to apply a physical analogy, you know you have to account for everybody in the world being able to you know right outside the door trying to find some creative way of of knocking your building over, and that's not what we what we really have. But but at the same time, it seems to me like you know that there's there's just a ba- not many fundamental principles that could be applied, kind of regardless of the the way technology evolves. 
I concur. But the fact that they're not applied today tells me that most businesses don't feel feel that they are useful enough early in their startup life. Well, I, I agree with that. Absolutely. The incentives aren't there. So what we live and breathe and think about every day is often an afterthought to most business leaders. Mm-hmm. So sure, we know how to do things. It's a matter of, is it important enough to a business at an early stage for them to build it in? Right. And right now the answer appears to be no. Yeah. So, you know, perhaps the promise of the cloud, quote unquote, is a more templated design that builds this stuff in early. Right. Yep. But that takes away potential freedoms and potential innovation by not having those best practices built in. But, you know, the way things are going, I could see a push to take away some of that basic options in the interest of keeping everybody safe. Absolutely. So uh, for me, I I think you've got a couple things. If you've got legacy environments, they're really difficult to forklift secure because they weren't built with the current issues in mind. And it's not easy to just rebuild them from the ground up. But if you're transitioning to a cloud environment, that's a wonderful opportunity to apply a lot of really good lessons learned to that environment. But I think far more people are going to the cloud without that mindset, without even knowing they need that mindset. And we're going to continue to see these problems. So I, I, I see it shifting to a cloud environment more and more often, I see. But I think the problems we're having are going to continue to shift over to there. I think the knowledge set that you're talking about is just not one that has been disseminated to enough business leaders and it's not important enough for them yet. I'm, mm-hmm. It's just not a prerequisite to business enough for them to, to, val- to dedicate valuable resources, time and energy and money to this problem. We think it is because we live it every day. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, that basically says we are just, we're, we're kind of perpetually chasing after the, after the, the runaway truck. We're, we're, <laughs> for lack of a better analogy, we are law enforcement. Yeah. yeah. We're never going to stop crime. We contain it. We deal with it when it happens. We minimize its, its effects. When it gets out of control, we may try different techniques and strategies to, to get it back under control, but you're never going to get to zero. Cyber martial law. What do you think? I think I need to watch the movie Tombstone a few more times. <laughs> I'm your cyber huckleberry. <laughs> Oh you tell him I'm coming. <laughs> Cyber Hill is coming with me. Oh, my. All right. Anything else? I, think I, don't, we... I don't mean to be, like, negative about it. I just, you're never going to stop the bad guys from probing, and our environments are always going to have weaknesses. Always. No, I I, I, I think, I think hopefully, that's in, in, it's intuitive that you're right. Um, it just it it just doesn't seem like a long term viable path that we're on. <laughs> Neither does rebuilding houses in a floodplain. Well, that's fair enough. That's true. or a hurricane zone. The rewards are there enough, and the risk is reasonable enough. People are going to keep doing it. Yeah. Oi. But okay. I, it, does, it doesn't it doesn't take away anything that is valuable what we do and it matters. Or, it's just I, I think there's no magic solution. There's no you know there there's no Manhattan Project for cybersecurity. I don't think there ever will be unless you dramatically change the entire model and take away all the general computing capabilities. Right. Right. You know. So orchid farming it is. <laughs> No, I, you know one one of the I think one of the interesting, and then we're we're so far off the reservation now. That I don't. There's probably two people left listening, but um, one of the one of the potential game changers is artificial intelligence and machine learning. Not only from an 
a defensive perspective, but also from hang an on, attack hang perspective. Hang on, hang on. I need to get my buzzword bingo card out. Yeah, Go on. Okay. So, so no, I mean, no, no more buzzwords than that. Just, I, you know, I, 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 I wonder if over time, you know, this is right, right now we're in the, in this position of it's cybercrime is largely a, a low leverage uh, enterprise, right? And by that, I mean, you know, there, there's a, there's a, a pretty defined ratio of criminal acts to criminal actors. Right. I, I don't know what will come of AI. I don't know how well that will impact things. I do know that ultimately we've got to get better at automating our defenses yeah, and our responses. Right. Uh, but I'll tell you, I still see so much low-hanging fruit we don't get right. Well... <laughs> That I fear AI right, will be another right. another blinky box promise of, of utopia bolt on that'll have the same fundamental challenges that most of our technology today has. Yeah, I, I guess I'm 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 of the mind that, you know, we we have a we have a lot of and this is probably really what you were just restating what you were saying. We've got a lot of work to do on the fundamentals, and and if we do the fundamentals well, that will also eat into some of the concern on on the more automated side. I mean, like my my concern about the vulnerabilityless worms, you know, that's largely enabled by kind of bad hygiene. Yeah, agreed. And and most of our big attacks these days start with some sort of phishing or psychological attack that isn't going to ever go away either. So, you know, it comes down to what are you doing from from a, a basic fundamental hygiene standpoint to harden your environment before you go out and start buying blinky boxes? Right. You know, are you utilizing the latest stuff in Windows or whatever operating system you're you're, you're running? Are you truly keeping your patches up? You know, are do you have good inventory? Do you remove unnecessary programs? I mean, all the stuff that's boring and difficult and hard to do at a high level, but makes a difference mm -hmm. does it stop everything no but does it make you a lot more resilient yeah how segmented are you how well you know how well do you handle a breach in one area of your environment not spreading to another area environment what's your breach response like how well can you spot a breach you know that's the kind of stuff that it's the fundamental it, it's the unsexy it, Fundamentals. I mean, I hate to say it, but AI right now feels like what Sim was marketed as five years ago. Yeah, Throw all your I, logs at me, and I'll figure stuff out for you. Right, right. I, I'm, I'm not even. I, from, from my perspective, most companies, you know, th this is not not dissimilar, by the way, to the attribution discussion. Like, you, you know, if you're at if you're at a point of maturity where you know the the next horizon for you to address is attribution you know you've that presumes that you've got you know all the fundamentals already addressed and i think the same thing is true with you know largely with machine learning and artificial intelligence it's the it's the offensive part that scares me yeah and i mean just to be really clear the problem i have with people focusing on attribution is we have a finite amount of resources and I think attribution sounds fun and sexy and we get to be cyber Jason Bournes, but it doesn't really make a difference to how you protect your company. And it's a distraction. Yeah. Yeah. Just well, saying. In my cynical nature. Well, I, th I think I'm, I'm going to go get really drunk right now. So. <laughs> Wait, you're not already? <laughs> not yet. Uh, well, anyway. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. See you soon. And to all of our listeners, thanks, guys, for making this year awesome. Yep, thank you. I'm still amazed at how this podcast has grown and the support and love we get from the community, and you guys are awesome. Yeah, thank you. I, uh, thank you, everyone. I don't think we're worthy of it, but who am I to judge your judgments? Well said. But if you like us, tell a friend. Give yeah. us some iTunes love. Right. Right. Feel free to to donate it, as well to the show. Internet we, points are awesome. Yep. Yeah, if you want to be a Patreon donor, 
you're extra special to us and we certainly won't say no to that. So absolutely. Anything else you want to add before we close out the year? Nope. Happy, uh, happy 2018. I, I certainly hope it was better than 2017. So Indeed. with that, we will talk again next year. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you guys.